Today we're going to dig into God's word. We're going to be in the gospel of Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be reading the story of Jesus forgiving and healing the paralyzed man beginning in verse 17. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If, if not, you can follow along with the words on the screen. Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They came from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to uh, thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who could forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had, uh, what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things this day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Lord, your word is a gift to us. We are able to hear from you and to grow in our relationship with you. And so we come into this space, this time, trusting in you to speak a word, to speak your word afresh over us. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would set me aside so that all that happens in this space, in this time, is according to your holy and perfect will. Lord, be glorified. Open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word and your will. Open our hearts that we would feel the power of your word. Then in response, I pray, oh Lord, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace on your behalf to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to admit, I'm rather intimidated to preach this specific text today 
because uh, on February the 3rd of this year, just over a month ago, I was at the convening conference uh, of the, the Eastern Texas Conference of the Global Methodist Church, and the Reverend Jerry House Jr., the pastor at Christ Church in College Station, preached on this text, and it was one of the five best sermons I have ever heard preached. And so, uh, if you think that this one falls flat, go and listen to his. It's all over the web. You'll be able to find it, uh, and, and uh, it is a joy and a gift. And he, he takes a broad view of this text, but we're going to take a, a narrow view of this text. I want us to focus on two verses today, verse 18 and verse 20. Verse 18 and verse 20, verse 18 says specifically that there's a group of folks, a group of men, other gospels tell us that it's four men, but that's not in Luke's gospel, but other gospels tell us it's four men. Four men go to their friend who is paralyzed and they carry him to Jesus. In, in this verse 18, it says they tried, they tried to get him to Jesus. And, and the initial question we must ask ourselves is why would someone carry someone else to Jesus? I mean, this is uh, not an insignificant thing. We don't know how far these folks traveled from. We don't know if they, if they were like a next-door neighbor in Capernaum or if they were uh, in, in a nearby town in Bethsaida or maybe they were up in the hillside in Nazareth. Or it says in this text that people were coming from Jerusalem and from Judea. Did they travel all the way from Jerusalem to bring him to Jesus? We don't know. It's not provided for us in the text. But all we do know is it takes something special to drive someone to carry physically someone else to Jesus. So why? And, and the placement of this story in the course, over the course of Jesus' ministry is fascinating. It, it, ra- it raises that question even to a higher status. This is not three years into his ministry. This is not Palm Sunday level. He's been ministering uh, for, for years. This is days into his public ministry. I mean, if you flip a couple of pages back, you know, Luke has uh, the the elongated version of uh, the birth narrative and then the genealogy and baptism of Jesus. He's tested in the wilderness and then only a few things happen after that. He goes and preaches in Nazareth, his hometown, where he's rejected. Then he casts out a demon. Then he heals many people, starting with Peter's mom, and then after he heals Peter's mom in Capernaum, other people bring the sick and those ailed, uh, who are ailing to Jesus, and he heals people in Capernaum. And then he calls his first disciples, Peter, James, and John, come and be fishers of men. And then he heals a man with leprosy. That's it. We are days into his ministry, not years. He has taught, he has called disciples, he cast out a demon, and he healed some sick folk. And the reality is that was enough for these men. These men heard what he taught, witnessed how he healed, and believed that the impact that he had in others' lives, maybe even their own lives, we don't know, was worthy of 
of them going to carry someone else to Jesus. Worthy of carrying someone else to Jesus. And we get so many details in, in just one simple verse, verse 19. Uh, it tells us that they come to the door and they have no way to get their friend to Jesus. It is blocked. There are so many people in the house and outside of the house. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that the door is blocked and they are crowded all around the house. And so these men who tr are trying to get their friend to Jesus then say, I will not be stopped. I didn't just go and, and find my friend. I didn't just didn't carry my friend to stop here now i'm going to climb up on the roof and they break a hole in the roof and lower him in front of jesus all sorts of uh, sorts of absurdity to that right if today someone was up on the roof with a hammer breaking the roof of the sanctuary we probably would call the cops we would be like someone is breaking my house no they didn't do that they understood the passion, the desire, the need to present people to Jesus. And they lowered him through the roof and laid him at Jesus' feet. And then this, this new thing happens. This wonderful thing happens. These four men had such extraordinary and extravagant faith that Jesus looks on their faith, the word says. He looks on their faith, and he celebrates it, and then he responds to their faith. Now, I know sometimes uh, we uh, have been praying for a, a friend, we've been praying for a loved one, we've been praying for a neighbor or a coworker, a family member, and I want you to know that that does not fall flat with God. God hears your prayers. And as you pray in faith, God sees your faith and is able to respond. And so I invite you to persist in that faithfulness. It says their faith was noticed by Jesus. And then Jesus then responds to this paralyzed man. Now let me start by like the life of a paralyzed man in that community. He would have been uh, uh, set aside as a beggar, as someone that would be out of the community. He would have been presented as unclean. His worship would be unworthy. He would have not had, it seems, many friends. And yet he had four. But then when he meets Jesus, the scriptures say he now has a fifth friend. Because Jesus looks on him and sees their faith. And then Jesus says to the paralyzed man, friend. Jesus calls him friend. He doesn't call him outcast. He doesn't call him unclean. He doesn't see him as unworthy. He sees him and knows him as friend. So if you've ever felt unworthy, unwanted, unclean. Know that Jesus can look on you, does look on you, and says, I love you. You are my friend. 
So he looks at their faith and sees the man and he calls him friend. And then what does he say? He says something totally new in the gospel of Luke. We have not heard this before. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I mean, that's a, like a whole different deal. And now it begs the question, who now needs to be brought to Jesus? Uh, once it was just those that were afflicted with a spiritual darkness, with demonic forces, or people that had physical ailments that needed healing. But now Jesus is forgiving sins. So if he's forgiving sins, now all of us, everyone over the course of history now needs to be brought to Jesus. Amen? And so that invitation expands, and, and, and now the definition of who the friends are and who they're going to seek opens up wide, and we are brought into that reality. We need a friend, and we need to be someone's friend. Amen? Jesus looks on this man and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now Jesus casts out demons, heals the sick, and he welcomes those who have sinned and forgives their sins. This has done a new thing over the course of Jesus' ministry. And the people are, the Pharisees and Sadducees are upset. You know, they got some, some, some business with Jesus on this. But I want you to be thinking with me is who, what, what kind of people bring people to Jesus? What kind of people bring people to Jesus? I think most often the truth of the matter is that people who have met Jesus are the people who bring people to Jesus. So if you have met him, if you have experienced healing, if you have experienced a restoration, if you have experienced forgiveness, you have met Jesus, and you are the most likely candidate to bring someone else to Jesus. My life is a testimony to this. I shared that with you before that I had a conversion experience whenever I was a junior in high school. I grew up in the faith. I was in a Christian home. I was in a church community, but I had more doubts than I had conviction. And uh, I, I journeyed and journeyed, uh, persisting, God persisting with me until I received a spiritual anointing and gave my life, surrendered my life to Jesus as a junior. Now, I love, I love what happened that spring. It's the spring semester, my junior year in high school. And the only part of this story I actually remember is the beautiful conclusion. It's funny how your mind just blocks some things out. And I think that the Spirit of God has blocked things out in this for me to show me what's most important. Because what I remember is one of my dearest friends in high school, Bradley Melton, at the altar at my home church in Missouri City, kneeling, professing his faith in Jesus, and being baptized as a high school student. I know that this happened after my conversion, 
and that this happened uh, as a drastic conversion for him as someone who was never introduced to Jesus before, as someone who did not grow, grow up in a Christian home, and he was welcomed into our community of faith, was brought into the family, and was baptized. And I remember nothing of what I did to participate in that journey of his conversion, but I do remember that he met Jesus. That was the first person I introduced to Jesus. And what I said and how I did it matters not. The Lord has stricken that from my memory because all the Lord wants me to remember is what Jesus did in him when he professed his faith and was baptized in my church. What kind of people bring people to Jesus? People that have met people, people that have met Jesus bring people to Jesus. And so that is our invitation. It, it grows from within us. It, it calls forth uh, an, an actionable item. And, and it invites us to consider who have we neglected from inviting to meet Jesus. That list goes on and on because it's not acceptable. It's not couth. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not something that is naturally done in day-to-day -day life. Uh, it's seen as, mm, they're being a little pushy. But why are we so, so scared? I'll use the word scared of introducing and inviting people to meet Jesus. What has he done for you? What has he done for me? And after he has had that life changing activity in us, who are we called to introduce to Jesus? I was um, at that convening conference February 2nd through the 4th. It was in College Station, and, and I had a, a part in, in planning that, uh, that conference and the worship services. So I was sitting, uh, on, well, actually, I was sitting kind of in my normal spot, uh, kind of towards the front uh, on, the, on, the right, uh, on the right side of the space. And we were worshiping, and Kenneth Levingston preached a dynamic service uh, a sermon, uh, inviting people uh, to come uh, with Jesus to the other side, to meet people where they are, and to have a participation in this transforming work of God amongst us. And, and, and it was, it was uh, just an anointed space, and the Spirit of God fell. And then uh, the Reverend Matt Neely came up, and he offered an invitation to come to the altar. And uh, he, he, he said, uh, we are invited to leave uh, at the altar what God needs left at the altar. And we're invited to pick up from Jesus the things that, that God invites us to pick up. And we're invited to take those things forward from the altar. And he invited, it was an altar call. He invited folks to come down. Now, this was an altar call with pastors and lay leaders from churches all across eastern Texas and Louisiana. And so uh, I was like, well, I wonder who's going to come to the altar. I mean, they all know Jesus, so uh, who's going to come? When the altar opened up, it was a flood. And there was no 
room at the altar. It was two, three, four layers deep at the altar. People praying over one another and coming forward for anointing. And then uh, I felt the Spirit compel me within me. I wasn't administrating uh, that time at the, at the altar. I was compelled by the Spirit of God to go and to pray, but there was no room except for in the middle of the kneelers. You know, that, that kind of the old split chancel space if you grew up in, in one of these churches. And the, you have the, the communion rails and the split chancel. And in the middle was like wood, right? And one, no one kneeling on the wood uh, because... You know, you might bust a knee or a shin or something. So the Lord convicted me. I went down to the altar, and I just lay, and I just knelt before the Lord uh, on the wood, and, and I just felt like the Spirit was going to invite me to sit and rest in that space. And I began to do so, and uh, I, I met with the Lord, and I heard from Jesus and I felt that peace that comes over us and that joy that wells up in warmth from within. From within. And I thought I was going to be there for a minute, I'll be honest. And then the Lord pulled me up to my feet rather quickly. I, I don't know how long I spent there, but it was a fraction of the time that I expected I was going to be there in prayer. And I stood to my feet and I looked around and I was surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that were, all, uh, that were all worshiping the Lord, that were all praying and seeking anointing and seeking healing. And so I looked out on all those folks and, I, and then I looked at those that were helping to administer the time. And there weren't enough people to pray for all the people that were seeking prayer. So the Spirit of God kind of welled up in me in, in boldness and I started uh, laying hands and praying on people that didn't have anybody to lay hands and pray on them. And so uh, I started praying over the folks that were gathered there, and then I had someone come and tap me on, on my shoulder as I was praying over someone. So after I concluded praying, I turned around, and it was an elderly woman. She said, do you have anointing oil? I said, I don't, but they do. I can, I can get some. She said, my husband, he's way back in the back, and he's been afflicted with chronic pneumonia, and and I'm seeking healing for him, and I'm inviting you to come and anoint my husband. So I found some anointing oil, and I followed her all the way back. I mean, this sanctuary seats 1,200, 1,300 people. So I'm almost to the back, and I meet her husband, and, and he tells me of his chronic pneumonia and how, he, how, how, uh, how hard it is for him to even begin to breathe. And so uh, I, I lay my hands on him. I anoint him in the sign of, with the sign of the cross, and all of the community of faith that is gathered around him lays hands on him. And so like the, the revival from the altar moved into the sanctuary and everybody was laying hands. We prayed over him for his healing, for his restoration, that Jesus would come and make him whole. I had never experienced anything like that before. This wife said, my husband needs, and even though I can't get him to come down because of his physical condition, we could bring the altar to him. So I went back to the front. I went back to my spot. I was worshiping the Lord, and, I, and, and the altar time was continuing, and I was just like, like basking in what just took place. I was crying because I was so overwhelmed with how, how good God was. And then another lady came up to me and said, hey, I saw that you brought anointing out into the people. Uh, could you come back? The lay leader of my church, he was just diagnosed with cancer. 
and the faithful of God want to seek his anointing and want to seek his healing, would you come with me? So I went back and went, went back and got the anointing oil, went back into the congregation, now way back left. And, and, and I heard his story and the people of God surrounded him and we laid hands on him and we anointed him and we prayed for his healing. Do you see what's happening here? Friends were bringing friends to Jesus in their time and space of need. Whether they need physical healing or spiritual healing or they need forgiveness of sins. It's powerful. It's glorious when a friend brings a friend to Jesus. And so that's my invitation, the scripture's invitation, the word of God's invitation for you today. Who do you need to bring to Jesus Who do you know that needs healing? Who do you know that's been afflicted with a spiritual darkness? Who do you know that that needs uh, forgiveness? Now the gates are wide open. There is welcome here. And the invitation goes out. And so I want you to know that people know that Jesus loves them when their friends tell them so. Would you be one of those friends? today. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are so good that you heal, you restore, you breathe life, you are love. You move amongst us and you convict us for invitation. And so, Lord, we want to be your people. Let us be like those four men who stopped at nothing to bring their friend to Jesus, who were even willing to carry their friend to Jesus. Lord, we do that. We participate in it. We we journey with you in that very way because we have experienced your grace, your healing, your love. Lord, be glorified, be used in and amongst your people that more would come to know the grace and the power that we have that you've offered in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, we invite uh, the ushers to come forward and we pray, Lord, that you would bless these gifts, that you would bless the givers, that all that is done in this space and this time would be for your glory, honor, and praise. We offer this up in Jesus' holy name. Amen.